you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 19 this morning, which serves as the final point in a three-part message on how we as believers are respond to God in worship for our great salvation. If you recall, for the first 12 verses of this chapter, Peter has simply expounded for us the wonders of our salvation by reminding us of various truths, such as God's sovereignty and choosing us to receive by His grace this undeserved, unmerited salvation. He's reminded us of God's mercy in bringing about our new birth and bringing us from a domain of death and darkness into a domain of life and light. He's reminded us of God's richness in preparing for us an indescribable inheritance. And He has reminded us of God's graciousness in the fact that He has bestowed all of this, this grand fulfillment of redemptive history, this grand eternal plan, and has poured it out on us who have trusted in Christ Jesus. God has given us so great a salvation. And therefore Paul says from verses 13 through 19 that we are in the middle of studying now that we ought to respond to God properly in light of our salvation. Peter's not alone in this emphasis, by the way. This is an emphasis you'll find throughout the pages of the New Testament as you read it. Most famously, perhaps, Romans 12, verse 1, Paul, after devoting 11 whole chapters in the book of Romans to explaining the great doctrines of salvation, comes to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, in light of God's saving mercy that has been unleashed upon you in your own life, we ought to live a life of worship to God in response. We ought to respond to God rightly in light of our salvation. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Him who has bought us and redeemed us by His own blood, as we'll see this morning. And again, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we see the same emphasis given after three whole chapters of expounding on salvation. Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. Again, respond to God rightly in light of your salvation. In Christ you've received a new purpose, a new life, a new direction. Respond to God rightly in light of your salvation. That's exactly the same point that Peter emphasizes here in his epistle. In light of the wonder of our salvation, we are to live lives of worship to God. How? In three ways, Peter points out to us. First, we are to be ready. That's what we saw in verse 13 where Peter said, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, be ready to stand before your Redeemer. How? By being righteous. And that's the second way that we are to respond to God for our salvation. We are to be righteous. Verses 14 through 16, which we studied the last time in this, in this study. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who, is, who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. In other words, having become God's children, having become children of obedience, we must begin to reflect the holy image of the Father who has brought us forth to new life. We should be holy and we shall be holy because He is holy. We're to be ready. We're to be righteous. 
And that brings us this morning to the third way we are to worship God in our everyday lives, and that is by being reverent. This is really at the heart of Peter's other two admonitions. You will never make yourself ready. You will never strive to be righteous until you are gripped in your heart with reverence towards your Heavenly Father. The third way we are to worship God in our everyday lives, and that is by being reverent, by living our lives beneath a healthy fear of God. That is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17-19. through 19. So let's go ahead and read that passage this morning, starting at verse 13 for context. Peter writes these words for us today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is the Word of God which His people do not forget, though they are small and despised to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this passage that we're about to study. We thank You for how it speaks to our hearts. And it reminds us of what our posture ought to be as those who have been brought near to You by the blood of the Lamb. Father, we live in a day and an age where You are not honored even by those who claim the name of Christ, where You are not reverenced nor exalted. And Father, we look at our own lives and we acknowledge this is at the root of even our problem. The reason why we do not live righteous. The reason why we do not look forward to the coming of Christ and make ourselves ready. is because there is still so much about us does not see your glory, your worth, your reverence and awe. And so, Father, I pray that you would fill us with that today. Give us wise hearts that understand a healthy and proper fear of you that belongs to those who know you in Christ Jesus. Give us grace, Father, to understand these truths and to be changed by them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after calling on us to be ready 
and to be righteous. Peter tells us here that the third way we are to worship God for our salvation in our everyday lives is by being reverent. Being reverent. That's in verses 17 through 19. Among all the statements that Peter gives here in this passage, the main verb, the core admonition that Peter gives us is found right there in the middle of verse 17, where Peter says this, Conduct yourselves how? With fear. With fear. With that one statement, Peter draws on one of the largest doctrinal themes found throughout the entire Scriptures, and yet one you will hardly ever hear in churches today. The theme of fearing God. Now the fear of God has fallen on hard times in churches today to our great detriment as I was thinking about it this week. It was once considered a badge of honor, if you recall, to be considered a God-fearing man or woman. Today that expression, though strikes us as a bit archaic, and perhaps even if we were to be honest, we would think to ourselves, maybe a bit wrong. I mean, who wants to be known as someone who fears God? I can't help but think that perhaps this is why many churches are filled with people who lack basic spiritual discernment and the right perspective on life. After all, Proverbs teaches us that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. And it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. Quite simply, if you do not ever come to fear God, you will never come to look at life or navigate life correctly. And I think we can see symptoms of this all around us, do we not? And to a degree within us, if we're to be honest. An absence of properly fearing God is the reason why there are so many people who call themselves Christians. In other words, who don't fear to claim the name of Christ And yet, don't ever darken the door of worshiping with God's people who don't ever enter the waters of baptism, who don't ever crack the covers of Bibles, and don't ever bend a knee in prayer. And not only that, but considering what Peter teaches later on in this letter as we're studying what essential Christianity 101 is, not fearing God is likely the reason why many churches are filled with people who don't love and communion with each other as Christ commands, who disregard the family, state, and church authorities that God has ordained, and who also who view worship and service from an external, man-centered, self-serving perspective. This vast absence of spiritual discernment and scriptural understanding exists today because there's a great absence in the fear of God. And I think our great ignorance of this fact as an American church shows us how far we have yet to go in our own evangelism beginning in the churches. Because to have no fear of God, please listen to me this morning, to have no fear and reverence for God is not a characteristic of the redeemed. It is the characteristic of someone who is yet unredeemed. For as Paul says in Romans 3 verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So to be a Christian and to have been drawn near to God in Christ Jesus and to have your eyes opened to the glories of the One who sits enthroned in heaven is to have a proper fear and reverence and awe of God. And to grow in Christ's likeness is to grow in godly fear. As John Murray wrote, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. In other words, it is a healthy fear of God 
that motivates and develops all other godly desires and aspirations. Godliness begins with the fear of God. We will only grow in Christ-likeness to the degree that we grow in our fear and reverence and understanding of the transcendence and awe of God. So what is the fear of God? This is a definition that I would give. The fear of God is, this is as simple as I can say it, is the reverent reflex of our heart towards God where the emotions of dread, reverence, and wonder are variously mixed, depending on our situation. Okay, so let me break that down, right? First, for example, if we're messing around with sin in our lives, a healthy fear of God will look like dread because we will fear the firm hand and discipline of the Lord falling upon us. But if we're walking in the Spirit and developing a greater sense of the majesty and glory of God through Scripture and creation, then the fear of God will look more like, in those moments, reverence, wonder, and awe. So that is why I say the fear of God is the reverent reflex of the heart. It's the disposition of the heart. It's the reverent reflex of our heart towards God where the emotions of dread, reverence, and wonder are variously mixed depending on our situation. Though God doesn't change... The nature of how we fear Him does, based on how we are relating to Him in that moment. Therefore, if we want to respond to God rightly for our salvation, we must be reverent. This is the only way that we will ever be ready and righteous before God. It is by being reverent. Look at what Paul says in, or Peter says in verse 17. He says this, And if you call on Him as Father which we as believers in Jesus Christ do, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I think this is fascinating as I was studying it. I don't know how many times I've heard Christians say things like this. Well, we shouldn't be afraid of God. We shouldn't have a fear of the Lord because after all, He loves us. He's our Father. And I can't help but think to myself in those moments, Maybe this is a bit sarcastic in how I'm saying it, but I couldn't figure out another way. I'm sorry you had such a poor example of what it truly means to be a father in your life. And I truly do. Because you see, a father who truly loves his children, and we're losing this in our culture today, a father who truly loves his children will, by nature of his faithful parenting, instill into every one of his children a reverential fear and respect of his God-given, derived, proper authority and discipline. I had a good example of this as a child. For you see, my father deeply loved all of his children unconditionally. And he loved me so much that when I did wrong, he did not stand there on the sidelines and hope that one day I would learn my lesson. No, he made sure I learned my lesson right then and there. And by the way, I urge you parents, the time for your children to find out that sin causes pain is now. Not later on when the consequences are so much more disastrous. Not later on when, it, when its end leads to death. Proverbs 19.18 says this, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not resign your soul to his death. Fight for your children. 
Satan means to have them, to lure them away by his destructive lies. And these are the lies he's telling children. Lies like this. Sin doesn't hurt. Happiness can be found in disobedience. And there are no consequences to spurning God and his word or his authority in your life. Do not reinforce those lies by how you're parenting your children. Fight for your children. And so, in love, my father would come to me. And in love, he would discipline me and he would redirect me in the way I should go. And can I say, oh, the reverent fear that was instilled in me when that would happen. There are some lessons that I know I never would have learned in my life apart from that. As Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly, that is folly that leads to death when you study Proverbs. Folly's bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod drives it far from him. With one swift stroke, there were lessons I learned from my father. Foolishness is not worth the pain. Sin will always find you out. There is a way that seems right to a man and a kid, but its end leads to death. And Satan never has my best interests in heart. What he was telling me in that moment was such a lie. My always loving, awe-inspiring father helped to show me that. So listen, brothers and sisters, it's precisely because we call God Father that we should conduct ourselves with fear because now we are children of God. And He has a vested interest in our lives. Just think about that. You cannot get any closer to God than becoming His own child. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have drawn near as close to God as possible, as close as a beloved child is to His Father. And because you've been a born again in Christ Jesus, you can literally call the infinite creator and sovereign of this universe this morning, Father. Now that is at both times glorious and sobering. First, it's glorious because being able to call God Father reflects the intimate nature of our relationship that has been won for us in Christ Jesus. For example... I am greeted by many of the children here at this church after services. I'm standing in the back. But the dearest way that I am greeted after services is when my own children run up to me and what do they say? They say, Daddy. That's the best because it reflects the inseparable nature of our relationship. So it is with God. What a wonder that it is when we pray that Jesus himself tells us, pray our Father. We are children of God. That's glorious. But it's also sobering because, listen, that divine Father whom you have been made intimately one with is the impartial judge who judges every single human being according to their deeds beginning always with his own children, as Peter will say later in chapter 4, verse 17. Hebrews 12 says this, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges even if need be every son whom he receives. When you draw near to God as your father, you have drawn inseparably near to the impartial and penetrating judge of all the earth. You have drawn near to the one whose eyes, as Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 states, pierced to the division of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I watch closely over the actions of my children. I cannot look closely after their heart. 
and what's going on in their intentions, God can. You have drawn near to the one from whom there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are laid open and bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When you draw near to God as your Father, have you forgotten that this is the one that you're drawing near to? This is your Father. And we represent Him in this world. You know, I can't help but think of as an illustration this week of how uh, my grandma used to tell my dad when he was a kid before she would drop him off at some youth event or over at someone's house. She would always tell him before he got out the door, remember who you are and remember who you represent. And it would every time, every time he was dropped off, remember who you are, remember who you represent. I think that's kind of what Peter is saying here as well. It's without wonder that Peter says, if you call on this impartial, penetrating judge as your own father, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Remember who you are. Remember who you're representing. There are a million distractions in this Vanity Fair world that we're passing through. A million potential pitfalls from here to glory. Conduct yourselves with fear. I I just want to ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, how many friends have you seen succumb? How many dear ones at this point in your life have you seen fall away? How many professing believers now walk as enemies of the cross because they did not walk in the fear of God? Beloved, we need to help each other as brothers and sisters in Christ to conduct ourselves with fear, to walk carefully and reverently throughout our time here on earth as exiles. For we are temporary residents. Our citizenship is in heaven and our loving Father, the impartial judge, is with us. Therefore, as we read this morning, Beloved, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. How? In the fear of God. That's a New Testament verse. Remember who you are. Remember who you represent. We ought to conduct our lives with fear. Why? I've just given you a few reasons. But this is actually the reason why Peter says you ought to conduct your lives with fear. Peter gives us the reason or the motivation for living a God-fearing life of worship in verse 18. He says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as that of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, that's why you ought to live your Christian life As a child of God, beneath the fear of God, you should conduct your lives with fear because of what you've been ransomed from and because of what you've been ransomed with. First, you should fear God, believer, because of what you've been ransomed from. And we need to remember that this morning. Peter says this, knowing that you were ransomed. In other words, all of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed. We've been set free free by the payment of a price and we'll get to that in a second but we've been set free from what peter mentions four things 
in this passage of verses 13 through 19. First, we've been set free from sinful passions. Back in verse 14, if you'll notice, he says, he mentions the passions of our former ignorance. As believers, we've been set free from the sinful passions of our flesh. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who have been redeemed no longer have have sin as a controlling, dominating influence in their life. We've been set free from sinful passions. We've also been freed, second, from spiritual ignorance. Peter says in verse 14 also that these passions are identified with our former ignorance. Quite frankly, when we were saved, before we were saved, we engaged in sin because we were ignorant of God. As Jesus prayed so simply to his Father in John 17, 25, the world does not know you. And Ephesians 4.18 says the unredeemed are darkened in their their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Right Before we came to Christ, we had no concept or understanding of who God is rightly. But now in Christ, our eyes have been opened to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Therefore, knowing who God truly is, how ought we to conduct ourselves with reverence and faith? Fear, recognizing this world and its passions and its ignorance don't belong to us. We belong to God and to His kingdom. We're exiles. Why would we want to live like though? Why would we want to live like how we lived when we were ignorant of who God was? As Paul says in Galatians four nine, now that you've come to know God or rather be known by Him, how can you turn back? We've been redeemed from sinful passions, redeemed from spiritual ignorance. And third, as he mentions here in these verses, we've been redeemed from eternal uselessness. Peter says here in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from what? Feudal ways. Feudal ways. That word feudal means empty, vain, pointless, purposeless, useless. You see, we as human beings were created to glorify God. We were made to worship Him, but instead we worship and serve ourselves, the creature, rather than the Creator, as Romans one twenty five says. We go around hating God and hating one another. That's why another word that Jesus used for hell is Gehenna, which literally means garbage dump. Jesus was trying to emphasize this truth. Everyone who turns their back on God to pursue their own selfish desires is literally throwing their eternal purpose and worth into the garbage heap for eternity. They're sacrificing the eternal on the altar of the immediate, as one person has said before. For apart from God and His gracious purposes, a human being, apart from God and His eternal purposes, has no eternal worth. From dust you were created. From dust you shall return. And if your life is going to be of any eternal value and worth, then it must be rescued from futile ways of living. Empty ways. Purposeless ways. Useless ways. It must be redeemed and surrendered to the hands of eternal God who can make, who can redeem your life and give you a purpose worth living for. And that's what, ha- that's what happened to us as believers. We've been rescued from futility. We've been filled with eternal purpose. That's why we have hope and joy and peace. Because we have been ransomed and redeemed from 
sinful passion, sinful ignorance, eternal worthlessness, and finally, we've been ransomed from, the best way I could think about saying it is men's imaginations. Peter says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, and where'd that come from? Inherited from your forefathers. In other words, you used to follow men's ideas about God and eternity. Well, I think God is like this. I imagine God to act like this. I will not tell you how many times I've heard that in counseling. This is how a lot of people live their lives. They live their lives based on the feudal ways inherited from their forefathers. You used to follow men's rules and men's ceremonies and men's philosophies, Peter is saying. Men who were just as blind as you. And where do the blind lead the blind? Into the pit, as Jesus says in Luke. But then God came to you. And what did He do? He redeemed you and He opened your eyes of understanding to the truth. You've been set free from human traditions and speculations and you've been given the truth. The truth that is John 8.32 says, set you free. So you've been redeemed from all of these things. We as believers ought to fear God because of what we've been ransomed from. Why would we go back to that way of living and thinking? Why would we ignore God's word? Why would we live as those who are ignorant? Why would we start listening to the wisdom and philosophies and ideas of the world? We've been set free from all of that. We've been ransomed from sinful passions, spiritual ignorance, eternal futility, empty speculations. And then we ought to fear God, fourthly, because or second, because of what you've been ransomed with. End of verse 18, and actually this just begins a whole point of Peter's argument that we'll have to pick up next week. But end of verse 18, Believer, you ought to conduct yourselves with fear because you are redeemed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I don't even know how to begin putting the idea of those verses into words. You've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. The eternal God who enjoyed fellowship with the Father and Son for all of eternity entered into time and space, became a man, took upon himself the form of a servant, and poured out his life unto death so that you would not live in those things anymore. He shed his blood unto death for you. He gave his life as a ransom for you. And that is a sacrifice that, listen to this, is fearfully precious. It is precious to God the Father. For it was His only Son that died. His only begotten Son who died. It was precious to Christ because it was His own life that He gave up. And it is precious to us because the wages of our sin and the judgment of our sin is death, eternal death beneath the wrath of God. And without the shedding of Christ's blood on our behalf, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Without the giving of His perfect sacrifice, there would be no redemption for us. That is a sobering and a frightening reminder for us when we start messing around with sin. God had the precious blood of Christ His Son poured out for you so that you would no longer live in it. As Ephesians 4.17 says, a terrifyingly 
immense price was paid for your redemption. Thomas Watson, the Puritan writer, said this, Great indeed was the work of creation, but greater far was the work of redemption. Why? Because it cost more to redeem us than to make us. To make us all that was required with the speaking of a divine word, but to redeem us that required the shedding of a divine life. So great was the payment required for your sin that the pure and imperishable life of God himself was poured out on the cross for you. And that's why Peter says, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish and without spot, poured out unto death for you. That's why he gives this command in verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You don't belong to this world. You don't belong to those passions. You don't belong to those sins. You don't belong to that ignorance. You don't belong to those pursuits anymore. You belong to God. He has purchased you with His own blood. Therefore, in light of your salvation, conduct yourselves with fear. Do you imagine for a moment that the divine God, your Father, who judges impartially according to everyone's deeds, will at in light of the great price that he has paid for your redemption, respond to our deeds of apathy towards him and our allowances towards sin with apathy and allowance also? Not on your life. He loves you too much. He paid too much of a price for you. He purchased you with his own blood. And so if you've been living your life, believer, without fear or reverence towards God, if you're right now dallying in sin and ignoring the return of Christ and thinking that you'll get away with it. Your father is coming. My mother used to say that to me when I was growing up. Your father's coming. And he will instill in you a proper fear of him that will motivate you towards holiness and that will make you ready for his return. He will not stand idly by. He loves you. He loves you. And He is a loving and gracious Father that comes for His own. Perhaps this message is the first movement of God upon your heart in instilling that reverent fear. I urge you, as Peter will later, humble yourselves now under God's mighty hands so that at the proper time He may exalt you. And to those of you who are considering yourselves redeemed, perhaps this morning, while secretly living, listen to this, continually in sin, And I want you to consider this morning that if you are calling yourself a believer this morning and you're living continually in sin and you are not being exposed and you're not being disciplined and you're not being reproved by God for that sin, you ought to be quaking in your boots. Because Scripture says, it is those whom the Lord does not discipline that are illegitimate sons. Outside the love of God, still in need for redemption. For those whom the Lord loves, Hebrews 12, 6 says, He disciplines and scourges every son whom He receives. He brings you right back to paths of righteousness for His name's sake, because He loves you. So if you've been living unrepentantly in sin and are not experiencing the sanctifying discipline of God upon your life, 
you need to be afraid. You need to be very afraid. For I tell you, under the authority of God's word, you can have no confidence in your salvation while you remain unresponsive in sin and undisciplined by God. No confidence at all whatsoever. So I call on you, if that's you this morning, to repent. To embrace by faith the rich redemption and forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus for he has purchased, that he has purchased this redemption by his own pure and precious blood. As Ecclesiastes says, the end of the matter is this, fear God and turn away from evil. Turn to the Lord and he will forgive you and he will make you a child of his own who will guide you safely through this time of exile and to his eternal glory. That's how loving and gracious our God is. Respond to God rightly in light of this salvation. Be ready. Be righteous. Be reverent. This is the word of God from 1 Peter 1, 13-19, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience. Until our time of exile comes, our Redeemer who shed His own blood comes. What if it were today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it is that sword that cuts into our being. And Father, we confess our sins to you. And we cling to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that if there is someone here that has recognized that they have been living in sin not under the fear of You, that they have not repented of and they have been playing around with it, they've been going back to their former ways, I pray, Father, this morning that You would use Your Word to bring them back and that they would come alongside another brother or sister in Christ here before they leave. They would ask them, would You please help me walk reverently and righteously and ready for the coming of the Lord until He comes. Father, by Your grace, help us to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile until our great Redeemer comes. Thank You, Father, for being our Father. Thank You for bringing us back to paths of righteousness for Your name's sake. Help us to heed your discipline and humble ourselves beneath your mighty hand that in due time you may lift us up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.